0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We all like to be happy in our lives, but is looking for that happiness all the time sometimes a problem in our society? According to a new book by Emily S. Fahani Smith, happiness is overrated, and it's meaning that we should be focusing on more. Smith writes about culture, psychology, and relationships for various publications. She's a columnist for The New Criterion and editor at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. The book she has authored is titled The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. And Emily joins us in the studio today. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, what was it that kind of got you thinking down this path in the first place? Because I, you know, most people, you know, they have this thought process of, hey, I want to be happy. I want to do everything I can to be happy. Not necessarily.
1: Right. So I, and I certainly thought that myself um, as I I was growing up, but actually I, so I was a student here, a grad student here at Penn uh, for positive psychology several years ago. And one day we were hearing a lecture about the difference between a happy life and a meaningful life and it was just really eye-opening and provocative because it showed that the happy life was associated with things like you know just feeling good being in good physical health and provocatively being a taker versus a giver, Mm -hmm. to use the language of Adam Grant, a professor here, whereas the meaningful life was associated with doing things for other people, connecting to something that's bigger than you, and with being a giver versus a taker. And I just, I started thinking about that, and I realized, well, that actually makes a lot of sense, because so many of the people that I know and admire aren't focused on pursuing their own personal happiness, but they're focused mm. on leading meaningful lives and what they can do for others. And so that was kind of the germ that led to the book.
0: And so the success, uh, in many cases, comes out of leading that meaningful life.
1: Exactly. That's right. So the research shows that if you set happiness as your goal and pursue it and value it the way our culture encourages us to do, that you can actually end up feeling unhappy and lonely. But if you set meaning as your mm. goal and devote yourself to living a meaningful life, life, you experience this kind of deeper and more enduring form of well-being down the road. It's interesting
0: because um, a lot of people, when they look at what we kind of see in our culture now... They believe that the millennial generation mm-hmm. is kind of leading the path towards exactly what you what you're talking about and having meaning and have meaning be an important component to to our society. It's not that you know the baby boomers, the, you know that those generations aren't doing that, mm-hmm. but it's more of the focus now than it may have been 20, 30, 40 years ago.
1: I think that's right, and I, I remember seeing a study that showed that of all the things that millennials want in a job, so you know, financial reward, uh, prestige, status, that the number one important priority for them is a sense of meaning at work, which I think is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I would also say though that sometimes millennials and non-millennials, all of us, can suffer from some myths about meaning and think that you know, if if, if we want our work to be meaningful, it has to kind of you know, give us the one meaning and purpose of our lives, and that we can't kind of find meaning and craft meaning no matter what circumstances we are. So, as much as I think it's important to value meaning, I think that we also need to bring it down to earth a bit. And,
0: and I think it's also important to bring up when you say meaning. I mean, this could take a variety of different forms. You say it could be meaning this, you know, your the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, giving back to the community. And you know, there's so many kind of elements to it. So it could probably, to a degree, mean different things for different people.
1: Exactly. So. For my book i interviewed all kinds of people about what makes their lives meaningful and and i looked at what the social science research said and no so no two people told me the same things everyone kind of found (laughs) meaning on their own but i did find that there were certain themes that came up again and again so when people talk about what makes their lives meaningful they talk about having relationships that are are defined by a sense of belonging having a purpose or Mm -hmm. something worthwhile to do with their time uh, crafting narratives that help them understand themselves in the world, and finally, um, having experiences of transcendence or self-loss. So we all have to find it on our own, but I think that there are those universal building blocks that we can all build up in our lives. But
0: it's interesting, one of the things you looked at in this book is the element of suicide, Mm -hmm. which I found very interesting, and obviously suicide is is incredibly impactful from a variety of different ways, but in in terms of, of meaning and bringing meaning to your life, how did suicide really kind of play into this?
1: So suicide, I think that a lot of people think of suicide as a problem of unhappiness. So someone is depressed or despairing, and the reason is they're not happy. So let's make them happy. But the research actually shows that when you look at what's driving suicide rates in, at the national level, internationally, country to country, that what predicts it most strongly is not a lack of happiness among the population, but a lack of meaning. So suicide mm. is really a problem of meaning. People think that their lives don't have worth, and so they give up on life. Um, they, they, they despair. And on the flip side, the, the best way to kind of get people out of despair and depression is for them to know that their life has a why or a reason.
0: So there is a little bit of a link, I guess, between having that happiness, but maybe not having the meaning in there and that suicide.
1: I think that people, they need, you know, human beings are meaning-seeking creatures. We're not, we weren't put on this earth to feel happy all the time. We were put on this earth to kind of find <laughs> meaning and to live meaningful lives and to right. know that our lives matter. And when we we feel like we don't have meaning or like our lives don't matter, then we become vulnerable to depression, suicide, despair. It
0: would seemingly be if you went back, you know, 20, 30 years in that, that culture, that Wall Street culture that we all, mm-hmm. you know, kind of remember, that that was probably maybe one of the heights of that kind of seeking happiness through financial gains, professional gains and stuff like that, uh, and maybe not as much worrying about the meaning part of it.
1: I think that's right. I think that there was a very kind of hedonic sense of pleasure and happiness that was driving the culture then. And speaking about millennials, there was a study that's interesting and kind of related to this, showing that the... Interest and meaning among the millennials was kind of correlated with the Great Recession. So there's something about kind of huh. being in an economic downturn that I think forces people to maybe take stock because the financial opportunities aren't as readily available. So maybe you start thinking sure. about other things to motivate you.
0: And the, certainly the jobs weren't there as, as prevalent as they would. And, and it changed the philosophy of how people – saw themselves and probably felt that success was
1: exactly back
0: in you know 07 08 09 and, and obviously beyond that point exactly uh, we're talking with uh, emily asfahani smith the book she has authored called the power of meaning crafting a life that matters you're listening to sirius xm 111 business radio powered by the wharton school you talk about something called the pillars of meaning what are they and, and 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 how do they really kind of play out in this process
1: so i i wrote this book because i wanted to understand what exactly the building blocks of a meaningful life are so that you know i could know and readers could know what we have to do to lead more meaningful lives. So my approach was to kind of go out all across the country, interview dozens of people about their own stories of what makes their lives meaningful. I also turned to the social science research. There's a new and growing body of research around what makes life meaningful. So I poured through all those studies. And I also looked at what the humanities had to say, because for thousands of years, philosophers, religious sages, poets, artists have been dealing with this eternal question of meaning. And As I parsed through all that research, I found that these four themes came up again and again. And these are what I call the four pillars of meaning. So these are what the building blocks of a meaningful life are. And they're one, belonging, having a sense of belonging, two, purpose, three, storytelling, and four, transcendence.
0: Well, the belonging part of it, I'll start there, is that there are times, I think, where people have that overabundance feeling of wanting to belong, wherever mm-hmm. it may be. And, and I guess at times, I've I read things, uh, articles about it, that it can end up being a negative. It can be a mm-hmm. backfire on that process.
1: No, exactly. So human beings have a need to belong. And what that means is that we need to be in relationships or part a part of communities where we feel valued and like we matter and where critically we're valued for who we are intrinsically, not just because we adopt a certain label. So right. I think I think what you're talking about a little bit where it gets negative is you become part of a, a group like, a, you know, you're a Yankees fan or I don't know. And a, you're
0: not true to yourself. And
1: you're not true to yourself yeah. or people only care about you because you uh, you assume some label like a political label or a sports team label and they don't care about you intrinsically so yeah people we want to know that we're valued for who we are Yeah,
0: you don't have to worry about me being a yankees fan that would never happen okay just never (laughs) happen but uh, talk about resilience for a second because i I mean i think more and more now and maybe partly because of the recession Mm -hmm. people feel like resilience ends up having to be a key component To a degree, because you don't know what's going to come around the corner for you.
1: No, exactly. So resilience is the ability to kind of bounce back from adversity and to, you know, psychologists talk about it as being bent, but not broken by tragic experiences or by adversities. And I found that the people who are the most resilient, that there's two things going on. One, they had those four pillars of meaning were kind of strong in their life before the adversity hit so that when the adversity hit, they were able to kind of withstand it with more resilience basically. Like if it was an earthquake, their infrastructure was strong enough to kind of withstand it. the other thing that happens is that people grow after adversity, and that's another form of kind of resilience. And the way that they do it is by building up these different pillars of meaning in their lives. So they they strengthen their relationships. They find a new purpose. they yeah. Their spiritual life deepens, for example.
0: Well, how much does this—I uh, mean, obviously, we talk a little bit of this in the professional sense, but I would think that— and you've alluded to this a little bit that that the personal sense with your mm-hmm. family, your friends, mm-hmm. the people you deal with on a day to day basis, your kids, that, you know, th- this can have an impact in these areas as well.
1: Exactly. So I think that the principles of you know whether you're talking about resilience in the professional context or in your personal life, it's the same that we need to have these four pillars of meaning in our lives: relationships defined by belonging, uh, being able to craft some kind of narrative about what's happened to us, mm-hmm. having a purpose, having some kind of transcendence, and that afterwards we'll be able to kind of deal with the adversity more effectively talk
0: about purpose for a second because uh when i was going through your book and i was thinking purpose and meaning when when you think about those terms just in general Mm -hmm. seemingly they feel similar Mm -hmm. very similar in in many cases
1: that's that's right and i think a lot of us use the terms purpose and meaning interchangeably sure
0: yeah Uh, yeah
1: but Purpose is really one of the building blocks of a meaningful life. So meaning is kind of – it's an assessment that we make about our lives. Does our Do our lives have value and significance? Purpose is a far-reaching goal that involves contributing to the world. It's having something worthwhile to do with your time. It's the way that you kind of leave your mark on the world.
0: So is it your expectation that because to a degree – uh, millennials really do kind of follow this path right now that this will be able to be something that will continue on. The the, the want to have meaning in our lives will be something that we'll, we will, to a degree, pass down to our kids.
1: I think that's right. And in fact, there's really interesting sociological research showing that our culture is kind of in the middle of this major transformation away from kind of materialistic and hedonic values towards meaning values that people are more interested now than ever arguably in finding meaning in spirituality in things like knowledge and curiosity, those 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 parts of ourselves that are really about leading a meaningful life.
0: The spirituality part of it, I, I find interesting because yeah. it feels like, and this is just maybe my own personal experience, that that the spirituality part of it it has maybe even regressed a little bit.
1: Right. Exactly. So definitely, you know, when you look at kind of the indexes of religious involvement, such as people going to church, people praying, religious identification, those are all down. But at the same time, what's been increasing is the number of people who identify as spiritual, but not religious. And I think that, you know, human beings, like, we just have this this part of us that needs spirituality, and spirituality kind of defined in the sense of things that are bigger than we are alone, ultimate concerns. And we want to know that, you know, we want to know what life is about, what our lives are about. And I, I think that's, you know, that's been with us for thousands of years. It's not going to go away. So if we don't satisfy it within a framework of organized religion, we're going to try to satisfy it in other ways.
0: Is it possible for this to come in? And I Take this from being a dad with three kids yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly running around. But the, the the complications that we have in our lives and, and still even so many years pulled away from the recession. We still have a lot of people in this country that, that are, are looking to survive by having to have two jobs mm-hmm. or they have multiple kids. Mm -hmm. So how does that play into finding that meaning? Because Mm -hmm. meaning for different people may be different. For me, Mm -hmm. my meaning right now is doing this show Mm -hmm. and making sure my kids are taken care of. Mm -hmm. and, And my schedule is so busy that I don't even think
1: really beyond yeah. that a lot. So definitely. So I think one of the big distinctions between a meaningful life and a happy life is that a meaningful life can be a hard life. It's a life when you're giving back, you're making sacrifices. It's it's a busy life. You're it's sure. an active life. And I think that the key is meaning is about connecting and contributing to something beyond yourself. So if you're if you're busy because you have two different jobs, you're raising children, I would say that the way to find meaning is to ask yourself, well, how are the things that you're doing supporting the people and the communities that you love? In your okay. case, you know, it's, it's doing these things to support your family. Yeah. And, you know, in another person's case, it might be doing certain things to kind of support their friends or to be the best colleague they can be at work. Even if you don't find the nature of your work itself meaningful, you can find meaning by adopting this kind of Service mindset,
0: but there's also a piece to it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with so many entities that we feel that need our support, that need our assistance, mm-hmm. charity, whatever it may mm-hmm. be, and with some of those organizations not being able to to be as robust as maybe they have been in the past, mm-hmm. just giving back to to those organizations can be uh, not only a personally gratifying thing, mm-hmm. but obviously a benefit. For those organizations as well.
1: That's right. Exactly. So that's exactly right. So meaning is about contributing and, and, you know, whether that means volunteering or raising a family or, you know, doing a a radio show like this to elevate your community.
0: What has meaning meant to you over the course of your life? Because you write about your family a little bit Mm -hmm. in, in the book. And was meaning something that your parents passed down to you?
1: I think it was. So in my book, I write about my childhood growing up in a Sufi meeting house in Montreal. So Sufism is a school of mysticism that's associated with Islam. Um, You know, Rumi, the poet, was a Sufi. The whirling dervishes were Sufis. It's kind of like the monastic order that grew, a, 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 a group of monastic orders that grew up in the Middle East during the Middle Ages. And so living in the Sufi meeting house meant that twice a week, Sufis came over to our home and they meditated sitting on the floor for several hours. Mm-hmm. They practiced loving kindness. They they practiced service to to all through charity and, and volunteering. And so I was surrounded by people who were leading really meaningful lives, even though their lives were also difficult lives. Some of them were refugees, some of them had just been beaten up by life in other ways. And so I was surrounded by people who had really clear answers to what it meant to lead a meaningful life, and they were leading meaningful lives. And I think that that kind of seeded the idea of meaning as a really important part of life from an early age for me.
0: So, w- with uh, this change of cultures that we've seen, obviously, with I mean, the Amer- United States has been a melting pot for you know as long as we can go back, but even more so now today. Does that impact how meaning can? can be brought forward, especially with reaching out to other people and other cultures?
1: I, so I think that this is really about belonging and cultivating belonging with other people. So we, you know, I think that as Americans, we want people who come here from wherever they are coming from to feel like they're at home here, like they're welcome yeah. here. And yeah. one of the things that I like to say about belonging is that it's a choice and that we can cultivate it in the moment with another person. So we can choose to reach out to someone and to build up this pillar of meaning, or we can choose to reject them by, you you know, unfriending them on Facebook by being, you know, racist or inappropriate or things like that. Or we can choose to value them and lift them up. And I think that as we live in a culture that's increasingly diverse and immigrants come to this country, we need to do everything we can to kind of build that pillar of belonging for them. But
0: it's a challenge because, as you alluded to, just even with with Facebook and all the social media element, we're kind of pulling away from people to begin with by by our increased use of social media to begin with. So we almost have to break that down so that we can have that conversation and then we can build on that even further.
1: Exactly. I think that belonging exists most powerfully when you're kind of face-to-face with someone and really just there and present with them. Right. So I I agree that, you know, we just spend less time on social media and more time with the people that we love or are trying to form a connection with.
0: We are talking uh, with the author of the book, The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters, uh, Emily Esfahani Smith, joining us here in studio. I talk about this obviously in the scope of the United States but this is probably more so just a global kind of approach that that probably a lot of people are thinking about these days
1: I think so. So I think that especially in developed countries, there's just been this rise of individualism and kind of sense of isolation among people. It's just, you know, I think it's just a a product of history. It's been happening for hundreds of years, you know, before social media is is more of a byproduct of it, I think, than a a cause of it. Um, And so I think that with the rise of loneliness, with the rise of kind of alienation, people are, are, are maybe seeking out other ways to kind of form belonging and connection with others maybe this is why they're turning to social media which is what which is I mean not necessarily a bad thing sure yeah. we can find connection through it but I think we have to be intentional about it and to not let it get in the way of the true relationships we have
0: but like you said that it's one thing to have the connection with your friends and your family mm-hmm. and your you know I put up you know pictures of my kids playing soccer you know on, mm-hmm. on the weekend for my friends and family you still need to have as you said before, that personal, that one-to-one connection.
1: Exactly. Or
0: else you're, you've lost an element of it.
1: Exactly, and I think that the real danger with social media and with the other kind of technologies that distract us is that they, we. We feel like we we have this need for meaning, and maybe we're not satisfying it in our lives, or we feel kind of down or unmotivated, and so we turn to social media to kind of satisfy this hole that we have. But it's 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 empty, and it's a, this false source of meaning. So we have to kind of step away from it and really focus on building those four pillars of meaning: belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence in our lives. Well,
0: there is a, have to be there has to be a piece of this also that can relate back to just the the, the traditional business structure that we. We have here in the United States Mm -hmm. because of the fact that people have that want to give back to find Mm -hmm. that that meaning and to be able to potentially bring that to their corporate environment Mm -hmm. and kind of incorporate other people in this process as well. It, you know, kind of a spider web, build it from the middle out.
1: Exactly. So one of the really interesting things is that in recent years. there's been this move in the business community towards meaning and purpose. So a lot of companies are rebranding themselves around meaning and purpose. You know, some of them, maybe it's not so sincere, but others, it really is. And you know, I talk about this company, Life is Good, the apparel brand in my book, and how they are really a meaning-driven company. So they really wanna spread the power of optimism. That's their mission and purpose. And they do that by having these kind of positive uh, shirts and hats that get spread around. And people who are going through adversities, like. Like women a woman who lost her husband to 911 children who are you know suffering with cancer have written into the company saying how meaningful the company's message was for them as they got through their adversity and then what the company right. does is it takes those letters and it reads them to their employees so the employees know that no matter what they're doing if they're loading trucks or designing t-shirts or picking up the phone as receptionists that they're tasks and their job is part of this bigger purpose to make the world a better place
0: i wanted to touch on storytelling for a second because mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting we are a kind of a culture of stories to begin with mm-hmm. i mean I'll, you go back to the to the to the basis of this country getting started it's mm-hmm. kind of been a component of what this country has been kind of built on mm-hmm. so how does that play in to what you're talking about with meaning
1: storytelling is, it's about your own life story and how you tell that story to yourself. And it's the act of taking your experiences and weaving them into a narrative that explains who you are and where you came from. It's how you make sense of your experiences. And it gives meaning because it kind—it of, provides a framework. Um, it allows you to understand your life in terms of patterns, and it makes you feel like your life is coherent and integrated. Mm-hmm. So if you have... Storytelling is especially important when you're dealing with adversity because those are kind of blips in your narrative that you need to reintegrate into your story
0: so that you don't forget what the path you've been or the or the travails that you've had to deal with.
1: Exactly, and to understand that those those travails weren't meaningless that they helped you grow or they led to this or that good outcome. And so, you know, we don't want to feel despair whenever we experience something negative.
0: But do enough people think of it that way? Yeah. And unfortunately, instead think of it at okay, I went through X that yeah. was a bad thing. Let me just push it to the side. Yeah. I, I don't even want to think about that for the rest of my life.
1: I think that that's a real problem and it's kind of, I think it's part of the happiness zeitgeist that we we don't want to deal with these kind of negative and painful memories, even though yeah. it's really important to you because we need to be able to close the chapter and close the book on the more difficult experiences of our lives and find a sense of peace and resolution about them.
0: Nice meeting you. Thank you for coming in. Oh,
1: thanks for having me. Greatly
0: appreciate it. The book, yeah. by the way, is The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. It is available uh, on Online and in bookstores right now. Emily Asfahani-Smith is the author of book. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upen.